Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me both pleasure and pain to welcome our guest, Dr. Carl Merritt. He is the president of the Dove Health Alliance, an electrical engineer, a biomedical engineer, a medical doctor, and he has a solid background in energy medicine. He has really investigated the depth and breadth of electropollution, microwave pollution, and what is happening now with the smart meters being installed throughout the United States of America. We're going to talk about the 1996 passage of the Telecommunications Act, Section 704. We're going to talk about the FCC's role in this, the health aspects of the smart meter, and why we need to pay attention to everything connected to the smart meter regarding our health. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you so much. I appreciate being with you today. We've done several segments on electropollution. We covered the book Zapped, the cell phone use for children, the amount of cell phone towers that are being built deeply concerns me. However, I really want to focus on the technology of the smart meters and why we need to pay attention to this. So I'm going to let you just have the floor right now. Talk to us, first of all, about the Telecommunications Act and how it connects to cell phone technology and the smart meter and anything in the wireless world. All right. Well, that's a, a very big topic, but uh, let's start by sort of just defining uh electricity from the perspective of um, uh, alternating current electricity, which is what we use in our power grids, which is uh, low frequency, uh, actually extremely low frequency. It's in the range of about 60 cycles a second in America, 50 cycles a second in in the UK and in Europe. And um, we've been doing this since... Uh, you know, the 1920s and 30s when we started basically creating electricity um, that uh, was invented by Nikola Tesla, uh, the great Croatian inventor who came to America, worked with Edison, and then developed alternating current technology. That's how we get our power. But that, you know, power came with a certain uh, caution. Uh, not only could you get electrocuted from it like you can if you put your hands on sockets, but uh, also this power uh, has uh, a magnetic field associated with it, and some of the latest studies we're finding now that women who are ex exposed to low-frequency power um, at uh, 60 cycle in pregnancy, if they're exposed to more than 2 milligauss, their kids have... Um, a three-and-a-half-fold increase in potentially having asthma, and asthma is now the 10% um, uh, of kids have asthma in this country, and it's one of the leading causes of respiratory illness. So, you know, electricity has uh, <clears throat> potentially adverse effect, especially if pregnant women are exposed to it. But what you're talking about is the uh, power in the radio frequency range, which is um, uh, many, many different frequency bands. And what's most concerning now is the microwave uh, radio frequency radiation that comes from all of our wireless devices, our cell phones, our cordless phones. And the most recent uh, addition to that is the uh, smart meters, which unfortunately in this country 
uh, and uh, several other countries, but not all countries, is using microwaves to transmit utility usage information to uh, to the central headquarters of the utilities uh, via uh, various different relays that are put on poles and so on. And uh, in uh, in the history of this, this is part of what's called the smart grid. And the idea was that we should be able to monitor much more uh, uh, frequently that the amount of power usage so that we could adjust our, our usage patterns um, to uh, uh, know that as we're getting into the time when uh, cars are built with uh, charging stations at home and so on as electric cars, people want to know their power usage. The, the reason for that is that people can't really store up power. Utilities really don't have huge banks of power, so they have to produce it and then regulate its usage uh, in the electrical grid. So the idea was actually not a bad one, uh, but what I uh, have issues with is that they didn't have to use microwaves to transmit this utility uh, power use information. Um, they could have done it like in Italy, where there's uh, millions of homes, and they use meters developed here actually in California by Echelon Corporation to transmit this power usage information over the power lines directly to the utilities. Now, you know, it's uh, all different ways of doing that. It's called power line communication. Have advantages and disadvantages. I think um, using microwaves um, was considered the cheapest and easiest, and um, it was actually something that wasn't the way this program was rolled out in California, where we're dealing with this, but it's not being done in many other states. Uh, originally, I think when uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, the Northern California utility, um, wanted to do this, they um, asked the California Public Utilities Commission, the CPUC, for doing it, you know, I think as a wired system from what I gather from reading the documentation. And then as technology came online, they said, well, we can do this uh, using uh, microwave radiation um, from these so-called smart meters and they would be installed then on every home, and that's really what's happened now. They've been pretty much rolled out a lot. There's a few communities have resisted that, and people really weren't informed about the potential impacts. They, in fact, uh, when the um, utilities were petitioned, they said there was really no health impact, and I think with a wired system, the health impact would be fairly minimal. But uh, then they changed it to using microwave uh, smart meters that work in a pulsed way. Uh, they send out a signal infrequently, uh, but consistently throughout the day and night. And they're high uh, power pulses that are on a very short period of time. And they're sort of like a flash gun going off or... or uh, um, you know, when when you drill with pneumatic tools, you get these these uh, pulses, and the pulses I think have a more adverse effect. But if you average the amount of power that they put out, and these put out about a watt or so uh, at a time, but very intense pulse, and then um, and then they are dormant again. So people have argued, well, this isn't the big problem because uh, you know it's not very much power going out. But a couple of things um, I think need to be. A, made aware of, number one, they didn't do any at all health impacts on, on any cell cultures, on animals, certainly not on humans. 
fact, I didn't even know how much power would be fully uh, um, in the environment um, because, you know, you have to roll out the system first before you can do all the measurements. You can uh, tell how much a meter puts out um, at a time, and we can measure that with spectrum analyzers and so on. We're doing that now. But uh, it's, uh, I think, wrong to say that there would be potentially no health impact because those people who are electrically sensitive, they're, they're electrically hypersensitive. Some people have called that uh, membrane sensitivity syndrome and so on. Uh, these are the people who have complained that, you know, they feel like they, they are adversely affected. They have problems with memory, with headaches. Uh, some people have nausea, sleep disturbances, um, all kinds of vague symptoms that are typical of these conditions. And it's estimated that about 3% of the population and, and perhaps growing um, now have this hypersensitivity to electrical fields, radio frequency fields. Um, specifically microwaves and so on. And we do know from many, many uh, animal and, and cell culture studies and uh, so on over the last uh, 15 years that, uh, you know, these things are being affected at levels that are much lower than is considered to be um, as a guideline, you know, safe in this country. And, and to understand that, uh, we have to really go back into the the whole history of how this all developed. I want you to go into the history, but I want you to just talk about microbolts, microwave radiation, where it was maybe 20 years ago and where it is now, how different the levels are now, just so we have a context. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the um, this all really started rolling out in the 1980s. You know, prior to that, um, the background radiation in, in our cities was something like 0 0.005 um, microwatts per square centimeter. You know, that, that was uh, fairly low. Uh, microwaves then were used for communication with those antennas you'd see on top of towers and so on that were looked like dish antennas that uh, were point-to-point -point communication to send television signals and other things across. Now it's uh, gone up considerably if you measure it in cities where it's really the highest. Um, it's gone up about a thousand fold, um, 500 to a thousand fold, some cases 20,000 fold. So, you know, now, now we are measuring much higher background levels everywhere and it's still below what's considered the exposure standards by um, well, actually, they're not really standards. They're guidelines. That's the first thing we have to say, that the um, FCC, which regulates this, the Federal Communications Commission, um, is only giving guidelines what you should uh, not be exposed to, and these are for certain periods of time. Uh, <clears throat> so they have a time limit, so that you have an exposure level overall. These guidelines were... Um, given to them by the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, as well as the American National Standards uh, Association and so on. And they give guidelines based on biological studies and what people think are is prudent uh, based on then scientific research. Now, these standards were promulgated um, originally in the 1980s and 90s, and they've gone down ever since originally in the 70s when microwave dangers were, you know, studied by the military especially and uh, guided. There was um, 
a person called Hermann Schwann, a, a German immigrate to America, who was really one of the people. And they first had a microwave standard of about 10 milliwatts per square centimeter, and milli is a, a thousandth, and that's equivalent to uh, 10,000 microwatts per square minute. A microwatt is a millionth of a watt per square centimeter. That's how it's measured per, per uh, area. And then they lowered that from the 70s to the 80s about tenfold. So now that the standards that are used um, is about um, a thousand microwatts per square centimeter. Now, we also are sensitive to different frequencies. So in the frequencies where the, uh, uh, the smart meters operate, they are about um, 900 megahertz range. In a, in a publicly available range that the FCC said, you know, could be used without any special permission. And so that's where they decided to pulse these meters. Um, and uh, in that range, you know, we are only, we are more sensitive. So the standard there is around 600 microwatts per square centimeter. So it's already, a, a, you know, almost uh, half less than at where, say, cell phones operate in your microwave oven and so forth. So um, that's that's where the standards are at, and they're expressed in this way. You can translate that to um, a standard of certain volt uh, volt per meter and so forth. So uh, that, those are possibilities, uh, but you know, commonly it's expressed in in this other way. Now that has to be differentiated as well with uh, with microwaves to um, uh, what is allowed um, or given for. Um, uh, absorption by a cell phone. There are two different standards. Um, that's called the specific absorption rate, and and that's how much of the radiation goes into your skin, into your bones, into your brain, and so forth. So that's what cell phones are rated, and that's expressed in uh, so many watts per kilogram of tissue, or so it's actually given per gram of tissue. So, and that's primarily a thermal standard, thermal meaning a heating standard. How much can you uh, absorb without the tissues? And uh, in, in a cell phone's case, typically the brain not going up by a certain amount of temperature. And that's typically measured in a, uh, not in living people, because you can't stick thermometers into people's brains. So it's done with a sort of phantom head, which is a head filled with fluid in which a tiny sensor measures the uh, radio frequency radiation going into the head. And the exposures there <clears throat> that we are using by guidelines by the FCC, and remember, the FCC really has no medical people on staff. They all listen to other people. So we really don't have any health standards for microwave radiation as such. They're just guidelines. So um, when, when we measure these, um, we can determine what we consider raises the temperature. But the non-thermal effects, in other words, the amount uh, that the body or the tissues or the brain might be influenced by non-heating radiation from microwaves is uh, also significant. And um, that's not considered at all in the standard. So as a result, you know, the non-thermal effects uh, can be significant, but they're not considered in the standard at all. And um, hence, when we have uh, a radiation source like a smart meter that might be next to your bedroom where a child might be sleeping, that, that could be a cause of concern. And there's no studies done at all to show what the impact would be. They just say, well, it's below the federal 
mandated guidelines, and so, you know, don't worry about it. And I've taken issue with that because unlike uh, a device like a Wi-Fi uh, uh, on your, you know, iPad or, or, you know, Wi-Fi that you have in your home, which I don't recommend you keep on at night while you're sleeping uh, as well because you have radio frequency radiation in your home and all the other things, um, these, these um, guidelines uh, aren't protecting us about that. There is no studies done. And uh, for the first time, uh, people have actually started to do studies. The federal government has basically done very little studies ever since the telecommunications come in. The EPA hasn't protected us from this any further. They've just accepted the old standards. And so in Europe, uh, the parliament has passed something called the precautionary principle that said, you know, if you're not sure that it could do damage, you know, err on the side of a lower level. And it's called the precautionary principle, which I think should be adopted here, and people at least should do these studies. That's clear. I want you to talk about the Telecommunications Act passage in 1996 and how that is impacting accountability and disclosure and transparency with respect to the microwave transmission of waves. Right. Well, the situation there was that uh, essentially, the I think the industry to a large degree under the Clinton administration lobbied Congress at that time to establish this nationwide communication system, and there was then passed as the Telecommunications Act, and it basically forbade any uh, community, any uh, municipality or city to refuse the installation of cell phone towers based on health or environmental concerns. In other words, you know, you had to live with it. The radiation was going to be set up uh, from the cell towers, and uh, no community could opt out once um, they would find that there is health-related problems. So the only way people really have been able to stop cell towers from being installed everywhere, and initially they were installed, you know, on top of hospitals and top of schools and churches and still is done because they basically, the cell tower companies, which are private entities, um, did, uh, you know, lobby uh, or, or rent uh, the space from different places. And if you want to make some quick money, you can have a cell tower installed in your property. And, that, and so the only way people stopped it is by trying to say, look, this isn't good for our neighborhood and so on. The property values go down when these cell towers get installed. So that's how some of the cell tower uh, have been stopped. But uh, generally they're put everywhere. They're put on top of um, silos in, in the Midwest. They're put on, on top of water towers and so on. And, um, you know, one can do studies, uh, as is done in Europe, uh, where you do crystallizations of blood and other things and actually show that, you know, they, they, these things actually affect the living systems. They also can do cell cultures, studies, you know, with cells growing in, in tissue cultures and animal studies. And more and more uh, uh, experiments have been done and more studies have been published in peer-reviewed literature showing that there is a real effect. There were major studies done in in Europe with the um, reflex studies that study where uh, many countries in Europe, 12 sites and I think seven countries uh, were done, and they showed that uh, problems occurred in cell cultures at levels that were 140th of the exposure standards that's considered safe. So, 
you know, they, they definitely showed uh, significant breaks in, in DNA. And um, even the studies done by the industry that were originally run by George Carlo, who was between 1993 and 1997, during this whole time when Congress said, you know, we want to know some information about that, he was conducting the studies on behalf of the cell phone industry. And he found micronuclei, which are connected with uh, DNA breaks and so on, um, you know, were showing up and they wanted to, you know, continue monitoring the long-term effects of this radiation on the population because these things don't happen instantaneously. It's uh, hard to show the cause and effect. But over time, when this technology is being used, um, more and more things show up in the literature when you do what's called long-term epidemiological studies. Um, and the interesting thing is, um, you know, he warned the industry. I think that program was terminated in 1999. He wrote a, a book about that, uh, about the impact of, of cell phones and so on. And, uh, you know, they actually won a court settlement to continue to do some um, research uh, afterwards because, you know, he, he was terminated or his contract ended and but he has since continued to you know warn people about this um, the problem is that these things take 10 years or more to occur and that was my concern about once smart meters get installed you know they have a 20, 20 year life expectancy and they're going to be on our homes pulsing away and they're part of a, a what's called a mesh network so that your power information is sent through the power meter of your neighbor and all the neighborhood because uh, that way they can just uh, transmit the uh, power information from point to point, from meter to meter through all the houses in the neighborhood until they go to a collection uh, center. You know, we're on top of a higher pole where it's relayed to the utility. So our whole uh, neighborhoods still get more of a level of radiation exposure that we hadn't bargained for initially, and it could have been done differently with, say, wired meters. So uh, I hope that helps, uh, you know, say that right now we're we're in the soup, we're in this radiation, and um, I think the, the people who are very sensitive to that, and that's a subset of the population, you know, could be adversely affected, and, and the final uh, evidence isn't in. But there's another thing, too, Carl, which is that you don't have to be electrically sensitive to be impacted within 10 years of this radiation pulsing away at your body. So let's say you're not electrically sensitive. It doesn't mean that it's not deteriorating your immune system and your cellular system and your red blood cells, et cetera. Well, most likely it'll more impact your immune system with the white blood cells. The red blood cells carry more of the oxygen. Okay. I haven't seen much about the red blood cells, but, you know, we, we do know that um, one should study this, one should look at the population overall. We do know that uh, people aren't so well um, overall. Our, our health seems to be decreasing. Um, I've it's my hypothesis, and it's it's just that, that actually all this uh, background of microwave radiation that we're now living in and it's getting exposed to all of us to uh, some degree, and if we're living in, in cities or we're in places near cell towers and so on, we're certainly getting more of it, that over time it definitely can have this effect. It has this on cell cultures, on animals. And uh, on people, you know, people, of course, who, who use a, a cell phone near their uh, head, 
Um, and, you know, the manual actually says you shouldn't put it closer than five-eighths of an inch for an iPhone and and about 0.98 inches or an inch away if you use a BlackBerry. I mean, there's a reason why that's written in your manual. It's also um, interesting to note that many of the telecommunications companies, uh, the cellular phone providers and so on, can't get reinsurance by um, companies like Swiss Re and, and Lloyd's of London and so on. They've actually not been able to to give any of those kind of insurance for health-related lawsuits later on. So this is, I think, something that might show up after a while. And looking at the work of, say, Leonard Hardell's work in Sweden and many others who have looked at it there, um, they see that um, after 10 years' use, people who are using cell phones have a greater than twofold increase in in brain tumors and acoustic neuromas, which are specialized um, tumors from the in the ear, and and other ones, you know, after 10 years use, and it's on the same side where typically people have used it. And if kids start um, under the age of 20 uh, using cordless phones and cell phones, that uh, risk has gone up uh, by fivefold. So there's five more brain tumors incidents. Not that that's as yet, you know, uh, a big epidemic, but it's uh, we're all exposed to this, and so the user has to keep these away from from their body. And naturally, something that is a transmitter next to your head gives you the greatest uh, degree of concern. Obviously, there is heating in the brain. You can measure that with thermograms. You can see increased blood flow to that area. And there was actually a study done um, how it affects the brain, not by heating it alone, but by metabolic change in the brain. This came out, a uh, Norovolkov study was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in uh, on February, I think February 23rd of this year. And they actually showed, first study done for a long time in America that I'd seen, published in a reputable medical journal that, that showed that three areas of the brain nearest to where a phone was operating uh, versus on the other side of uh, the head where the phone wasn't operating. On the side where the phone was operating, there there was a, a decrease in uh, blood sugar to the brain uh, measured by positonomism tomography or PET scans. So we, we could actually... Uh, measure changes in blood uh, or brain glucose utilization in three areas of the brain. And, and this uh, confirms stuff that was uh, measured uh, in earlier studies where there's a, a potential break in the uh, what's called the brain uh, blood-brain blood barrier. barrier. Yeah, the blood-brain barrier has already been studied by people like Alan Fry and other people who showed that these uh, microwaves affect brain chemicals, the uh, opiate dopamine system in the brain. Those are neurotransmitters or brain chemicals we use. And make these devices, I think, somewhat, um, you know, addictive. And when you kind of see how everybody's, you know, communicating with their little device uh, without seeing that they're, uh, or understanding that they're using microwaves to radiate their head and specifically pulsed microwave, unlike your microwave oven, which is a continuous frequency at 2.45 gigahertz, these things pulsate, and the pulsation is what causes real problems. And the same thing with the smart meters. They're also pulsating. I want to say a couple of things to you. One is that I'm sure you're familiar that the FCC wants to basically get rid of all landlines in the U.S., which I find absolutely frightening. The FCC has been petitioned, as I understand it, by large carriers, maybe AT&T, I think I've seen, and others. You know, they want to get rid of uh, them because for them it's economically, you know, 
less favorable. Uh, they lose money now on landlines, or but everybody is using the cell phones, but without understanding that they're using microwaves. So the FCC has been petitioned by by them to say, let's get rid of these. People aren't using them anymore. They can be always on with the other thing, and it's it makes more money for us. So very scary. Very very yeah. scary. The other thing is countries like Russia have known the danger and seriousness of the microwaves. Countries like Switzerland and Liechtenstein and the Netherlands make getting smart meters voluntary. But we won't get that chance, will we, here in the United States? That's what we've been, uh, you know, essentially lobbying uh, for with the FC, uh, with the CPUC in California and other states, people are going to their public utilities commission say, we want to make these voluntary. Let the market choose. You know, if people are properly informed, let them decide whether they want a microwave pulsating smart meter on their house or a wired one, you know, or keep the old analog meter, which has worked quite well. The problem with those, of course, is that you only get information once a month when the meter reader comes. And this way they save money by getting rid of the meter readers, getting information all the time, and then the utilities can, of course, um, say, well, you're using it during our peak time, and we'll have to charge you more for that, and that's why the, the bills have gone up in certain regions. People have bitterly complained about that, but they said, well, we've been undercharging you all this time by averaging your power. Now we can tell you specifically how you use it. Unfortunately, that leads to a potential problem of privacy if they could ever intercept these uh, these signals. And some people have said that might be a possibility. Then, you know, all kinds of information could be sent. In Texas, I think they passed um, a requirement that your utility usage information, your power usage information, is your own private information and can't be used without your permission. Um, so... You know, but here in California, once the utility has it, they can tell a lot about the usage of uh, what you turn on and off, whether you're home or not, and there, there are certain privacy and potential safety issues there. You know, if people could know when you're home or not because of your power usage pattern, that might uh, be um, something that criminals get get a hold of. So you don't want to have that. And as you said, in in other countries that have studied it longer, like in in Russia which has one of the longest studies of it, you know, in, in the Cold War era and so on, they found that, you know, microwaves have an adverse effect on our uh, homeostasis or balance in our body. So they had exposure standards of 10 microwatts per square centimeter as opposed to, you know, ours, which are, you know, um, a thousand microwatts, a hundred times more. And, um, you know, and now there's an uh, a body that regulates that, that's been arm-twisting the Russians and the Chinese to, to get to the Western standards, where that's the International Commission for Non-Ionization uh, Radiation Protection. So um, that that uh, organization said, Let, let's make this standard throughout the world so we can all, you know, use our cell phones and other devices. And, and the Russians have been resisting that, but I think... Um, there's a lot of economic pressure to create a unified world standard. Unfortunately, I believe it's it's way too high, and it doesn't fit with the precautionary principle. Uh, for example, that might be in the neighborhood of one microwatt per square centimeter. That that's a thousand times lower, you know, than um, depending on what standard people are, are promulgating. Certainly, you don't want to sleep in 
in these high areas when we are vulnerable and repairing our body at night. And that's what I have a problem with when you're living uh, with a, in a bedroom next to the power bank, say, in an apartment building in California, where you really have to do measurements. And I'm starting to do these measurements now with um, with spectrum analyzers and so on. So really give the data to the regulatory agencies and saying, you know, these levels are getting close to what we consider to be a, a real danger. And I, I think at this point, this wasn't a good idea to roll out this technology. What are you suggesting in the meantime for all of us for prevention? Let's go through several. One of them you've talked about, which is turn off your Wi-Fi systems at night when you're sleeping. What else? Well, it all depends on how close you are to the radiating source. So if your bedroom is right next to where the power meter is, then you would want to consider sleeping as far away from that source or use another bedroom, you know, that certainly it, uh, typically this radiation decreases by the square of the distance from the source. And um, so that would be good. Sleeping uh, in wireless environments um, is not a good idea. Some people have their their router or their, their wireless um, uh, transmitter, you know, near where they are. If you're working, say, on a workstation, you know, try to put the transmitter further away from your body. Um, you know, turn off the wireless when you don't need it. If you're, we're in an always on society now, so we're always getting exposed to that. The other day, um, I flew in an uh, aircraft where they now have wireless, like Delta has it, Southwest has it, and I've been measuring the levels inside the planes where everything bounces around, and you can see, you know, they're much higher now than they used to be, about, about a factor, you know, of 100. Um, but then next to me sat a young lady with, you know, one of those uh, Samsung Galaxy uh, iPad-like devices, you know, the, the tablet PCs. And I, she was just watching a movie. That was fine. But then she turned on the wireless. I wanted her to turn it on to actually measure it. And, and from the background level, you know, it went from about uh a thousand in the plane uh between a hundred and a thousand microwatts per square centimeter it went up to forty nine thousand right next to the antenna and that was on her lap <clears throat> and I measured it there with a meter. So, you know, um having these tablet type of devices right next to where your reproductive organs are, uh, like uh, a a girl's ovaries, a woman's ovaries you know, have a certain number of eggs. And um, we're starting to see now with this wireless type of transmission that sperm counts are being adversely affected in men and so on. So, you know, natural selection is kind of taking its toll as we're doing this. And, and this is in the medical literature, and there's even the mechanisms described in the free radical formation, which is oxidative stress and so on. So, you know, uh, some people are definitely getting more exposed by having these tablet PCs wirelessly connected, um, <clears throat> uh, influencing their body's tissues. So you might want to keep them somewhat away. Uh, like the laptop computer wasn't really designed as a laptop, not to be put on your lap. It was a portable computer. Right. And, you know, and so you want to keep the exposure down. That's always the number one on a personal thing. Um, there are... <clears throat> a certain type of um, devices people are experimenting with that they can put on their cell phones that um, make the coherent microwave radiation that comes off these phones, breaks them up a little bit so that the body may not be as um, 
impact that it doesn't set off the uh, adrenal alarm response as much, you know, and perhaps not affect the immune system. But again, these uh, need to be all studied. So there's a lot of those you can find uh, information about on the web, but many of them don't have good good studies. So I think uh, I wish our government would do uh, or private nonprofits would do more studies in this regard. That's what our foundation is interested in and looking uh, under the microscope to see uh, what happens with the blood is, uh, and this affects the red blood cells, uh, the red blood cells tend to clump together, something called uh, rouleau formation, and then they're like stacks of coin, and they then the blood doesn't go through the uh, capillaries as well, the small, um, uh, smallest uh, vessels um, that are closest to the cells, and then uh, they're kind of like uh, a bunch of people trying to uh, leave uh, a room under duress, you know, they all pile up in the door. So the red blood cells don't go uh, bringing the oxygen to the tissues, and you probably find, and many people do when they work in front of computers and work with cell phones and all these things, after a while their muscles get tight. That's because um, lactic acid builds up just like a charley horse, and uh, your muscles get tight, and going into the sunshine would help. You know, being exposed to sunlight the full-spectrum sunlight would be very, very helpful. It breaks up some of this uh, rouleau formation. So take breaks when you work with technology and get away from the Wi-Fi when you can. Um, you know, taking breaks in the sun and so on would be helpful. You know, keeping good nutrition up. I, my experiences with people who are electrically hypersensitive that I, I've seen as clients, um, they tend to be also having issues about nourishment, mineral imbalances, you know, not eating as well. There are some more hypersensitive. And when you look at the nutritional patterns of our kids, you know, they're you're not surprised that with their heavy cell phone and wireless use, you know, that they're having more and more issues. Uh, uh, and we see this in schools now with attention deficit uh, problems and so on. I think it's all connected with with this um, ambient electrosmog that we're all exposed to. So, um, you know, get good sleep, eat really a good nutritious diet with lots of antioxidant-rich foods, um, berries and uh, and fruits and vegetables um, that are rich in antioxidants. These all help, you know, de- um, deal with uh, uh, the sort of weakening immune system that we see overall. Don't use your cell phone for a long period of time. Uh, at a time, keep the call short, remembering that the exposure standards were actually set for a 200-pound male uh, using a cell phone for six minutes. That's kind of like, um, you know, a mili- there are military-industrial standards that we've rolled out, and um, they were never really, uh, at the time when they were rolled out, expecting to have cell phone towers all over the country um, and cell phone use by most of the people on the planet. And um, and so you want to keep your exposure time there. Use a headphone, absolutely, so you don't have the antenna right next to your head. That would help a lot. What do you mean a headphone? You mean a headset? Uh, I mean uh, like a, like an earphone, you know, like a little earplug thing that you that you don't talk with the cell phone next to your head, but uh, have it a distance away from your head so that the radiation levels are lower. Got it. You can you can do that by plugging something and putting it in your ear. There's even ones called Blue Tube. Yeah, by Mercola. What do you think of Blue Tube? Well, uh, the idea there was that the last part of the headset uh, does not uh, have the wire going right into the ear 
because there might be some pattern coupling into the ear more. So they put a plastic tube there with a tiny little speaker at the end. So it's a little bit like the old uh, communication on a ship between the you know the bridge and the um, and the and the power uh, generation system. You know where they talk down the tube. So that that's what the idea of the blue tube is. Bluetooth is, uh, you see everybody walking around with the Bluetooth there. Again, microwaves, but at lower power than your cell phone. And so they set up a, a short distance link between, you know, your head and where the cell phone is. And people think they're somewhat protected by that. But I've measured those as well. You see, it's not the power level. It's the pulsation patterns that, that um, is really the issue. That's what causes this blood-brain barrier issue. That's what causes the... Uh, the blood sugar in the brain modulation or changes, you know. So, so um, walking around like a secret service agent with these communication things isn't a good idea. I so, wait, I want to bring you back to the blue tube, T-U-B-E. What do you think of it, and do you use it? I've used them. Uh, I don't use it right now. I usually use my phone uh, when I use it uh, short times. Uh, I use it as a speakerphone. That's how I use it. mine. That's exactly how I use mine, as a speakerphone. Yeah, phone. it seems to work okay. And, you know, um, I mean, it's it's kind of uh, strange now to walk around. Everybody's talking to themselves, uh, but then you really have to talk <laughs> to somebody else. It seems like a mental illness in the old days when people talk to themselves, you know, but now it's part of the new culture. So, yeah, you can do those things. I turn off your Wi-Fi at night in the home recognize that some of the other cordless phones, they're called DEC phones for digital enhanced communications uh, uh, transmission standard, um, that, that those DEC phones transmit like a cell tower in your home, you know, and um, and the only way you find that out is, is to, to buy something that can measure that. Um, there's devices around for about $100 that pick up microwaves that tell you what the modulation patterns are like. And you can look for those uh, that uh, were put out by by various uh, people. So then you can actually hear that these things are sending a pulsation pattern through your house, you know, all the time. Um, I, I would suggest people don't use cordless phones as convenient as they are. And again, if you do use them, try not to use the decked phones uh, that are the cordless uh, patterns. I can actually play you if you're interested. You can hear this here. Um, you can uh, hear what a cordless phone sounds like. You know, it's called a deck phone. Um, let me see if this works. Uh, then, then uh, it'll come over my speaker. Maybe. Uh, well, it doesn't seem to be. But there's this modulation pattern. All you can actually tell whether somebody has a GSM phone, a Wi-Fi sounds like a woodpecker, and so on. Um, what Bluetooth sounds like when it's transmitting. These are modulation patterns or sound patterns, and that's what your body responds to. The microwaves are just the carrier for this modulation, for these uh, signals. When you were talking about getting funding to do these studies from the government, I was thinking that the government in no way, shape, or form is going to give the people who are in a position to really do the studies ethically the funds to find out the truth because they're going to give the cell phone companies and the telecommunications companies the same green light and immunity that they do to the pharmaceutical companies who also have no accountability to us. Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels similar. 
Well, it would have to be something where it's given, you know, to a, a non-profit that, that has ethical standards and that it can't be swayed. Um, but that's it's very, very hard in this culture with the economic, um, you know, imperatives that are uh, presently at work to to do things in, in that way. Uh, but it uh, would need to be established that uh, a, an organization or a non-profit or some other institution that uh, would have no vested interest and that have to be really uh, have watchdogs or other people showing their accountability to the people you know it's the people's issue it's not not the uh, business issue you can see that from the studies that are done if this many of the studies are um, are heavily lobbied by the cell phone industry they even show that sometimes it's benefits to using these devices which is absolutely uh, it's laughable laughable you know, about two-thirds of the studies are showing no effect or, you know, no adverse effect, whereas independently funded studies, you know, show exactly the opposite. Two-thirds show, you know, an adverse effect. So it tells you that we have uh, an issue here that's both economic and political at work, and uh, the user has to beware. We're living in a time of, you know, always-on wireless technologies, and now the latest thing is that there'll be the, the light squared system and Alcatel loosened us rolling out these little cube antennas. They'll be uh, all over the neighborhood. They're the size of, I think, six-inch cube or, or less. So they'll be really Oh, I've seen them. Antennas. Actually, I've seen them. Mm-hmm. So, so this, this is like Big Brother, you know, uh, from 1984. George Orwell's book reminds me of that, that... You know, we're always connected to that, and our kids are essentially the most adversely uh, affected. You know, a kid absorbs um, two to three times as much radiation in their thin bones into the brain if they use cordless, and Canada just promulgated a a recommendation that kids shouldn't get cell phones, you know. I think that's great. uh, So have other countries, Germany. France and so on. Uh, so it's starting to, you know, uh, starting to come out. Uh, Devra Davis, who used to uh, be um, at the University of Pittsburgh, uh, wrote a wonderful book of the uh, the history, uh, the secret history of the war on cancer. She came out with a book last year called Disconnect, what I would highly recommend to your listeners. Disconnect by Devra Davis and. Um, you can find her on the web as well talking about it. And she makes the same recommendations that the industry has heavily uh, lobbied, um, you know, organizations and even changed some of the, the research findings. This happened in the reflex study. They, uh, the researchers at the uh, an Austrian university were lobbied after the adverse effects came out. And it's downplayed. There's a lot of spin. There's a, a lot of things being done to downplay the risks and, uh, uh, I think it's something that uh, people are waking up to now is a potential risk. And um, I believe from the early studies that I've seen on so many places, the risk is real. And a user has to beware or, or say, look, let's have a different kind of smart meter uh, or, or switch to analog. And I saw that in, in uh, Southern California where you are, um, you know, that the CPUC actually allowed people to put the analog meters back in in certain cases. So it's just beginning to happen. I wanted to ask you something since the passing of Steve Jobs. And for those people that really want to buy the iPad or the iPhone or a laptop, wouldn't you suggest a laptop over the iPad simply because the iPad will be always wireless? 
you can actually turn them off, but then they lose some of their functionality because they're used to always connecting to the Internet. What I'm saying, though, is they're not made to be wired. It makes it a little bit more complex. I've looked yeah. into them. I don't have one, but, you know, they're awfully cute little devices. They are cute. They're want. darling. You know, and, and you can see why people like them. They have many different things, but... Uh, you can turn the wireless off um, on all of these, and you can wire it up to an Ethernet connection, which, of course, doesn't have any microwaves, and it's a good communication center. It's wired then, and then you can plug it into an adapter into the USB port, so you can use your iPad that way. That's great to know. Now, what about people who are buying their iPhones? Any recommendations to those people? Well, first Should of they all, get a Blue you know, tube? <laughs> Well, you know, yeah, plug it, plug in a headphone into them if you're using them. So that would protect your brain. You know, keep keep the device away from your body when you're not using it. People holster it next to their, you know, to their gonads, next to their to their testicles or or their hips, you know, and uh, next to women's um, ovaries. So that's not not a good. Women don't carry them. Men men seem to carry them like that. Uh, so you can get something that reflects the radiation away, you know, a shield that you can put on the back of it, so in a holster type of thing if you have to do that. Um, then you can, you know, those devices, um, uh, you want to find one with the lowest amount of SAR values, the specific absorption rate. And you can go to sarvalues.com or uh, other websites. Just look at lowest SAR phones. In fact, um, San Francisco just came out with an ordinance that was heavily fought by the uh, telecommunications companies to not have it enacted, but they finally did. Uh, that says, you know, when you buy your phone, it should tell you what your SAR values were. And the telecommunications uh, group argued, well, that would be discrimination. But it's like saying how much tar <laughs> is there in your nic- you know, nicotine is there in your, in your cigarette. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, they then said we're not going to have any more conferences from from the cell phone industry in San Francisco to, you know, put pressure on them. But they resisted that. Now now it's uh, coming, you know, about. So find a low value SAR phone. Um, I just looked into some uh, a website today that listed them. And remembering that, um, you know, the less radiation goes out, the less you'll be affected. So so that helps. And then um, recognize also that the newer smartphones, they use more and more data. So they develop 3G and now the 4G network and, and these things. These things are um, putting a lot more information through the system, um, and, and they're much more intensely modulated to, in order to do that. So those phones seem to have more of an adverse effect than the old phones, but that's the revolution that's going on now. Everybody wants a smartphone, you know. And, of course, you can't turn off the wireless on the smartphone as opposed to, say, an, an iPod or an iPad. You can turn the, the, that off because you don't need to use it all the time, unlike a phone where you want to get your phone call. But um, it's difficult to make the function then work because they're, they're made to always be on as a preferential mode of usage. Do you think we'll always have to rely on microwave for cellular communication? I mean, you're a person of great distinction in your background and in your training. And I'd like to know if you think we'll have an opportunity to communicate through something safer. 
I think uh, human beings, uh, as yet, generally don't believe that we have the capacity for telepathy. I think this might be training wheels for that eventually. We, if you really tune into your your inner voice, you can pick up a lot of information, you know, uh, selectively. And um, ultimately, you know, I like conversations and people in person rather than talking through a machine. Um, you know, ultimately, um, something could happen that uh, that would disturb this whole network. Um, one thing that, that Congress has talked about and other people is not generally well known. Oh, EMPs? Well, there's a real risk that if a coronal mass ejection, that's a, a big oh, yeah. you know, explosion from the sun, would hit our satellite networks. Yes. And, and a lot of the cell phones use satellite uplinks and other things as well. It could also take out our power grids, you know, and they were very worried about that. Uh, to the point that scientists started modeling how current flows through the Earth when there is a huge amount of charge coming from the sun to the Earth. It could burn out the high-voltage transformers, and that would lead to power interruptions, not just like the ones we had back in 89 when we had one of those and the power went out in Hydro-Quebec, and we didn't have six, seven to nine-hour power outage in in. Uh, in New York State, um, this could happen for weeks to months, you know, and, and that would totally disrupt. In fact, uh, it was this year in the Financial Times, there was an article about the $2 trillion solar Katrina. You know, it was an actual article about it. What would happen? Scientists have warned that, you know, if uh, if the, this hit, that is our, our power grid safe, and we have three power grids in the United States, in the West, in the East, and in Texas, and they they have certain interconnections, and you know these uh, these grids you know are very vulnerable to the point you need uh, washing uh, washing machine size of resistors to be put in there so that the ground currents wouldn't go up into the high voltage transformers that are part of the uh, power transmission network and burn them out. So that would you know end life as we know it right now on Earth for a period of time. Uh, yeah. very I did a whole show on electromagnetic pulse, what would happen with an EMP. I really think that it's actually a better bet to decentralize the whole delivery of energy um, and to use a different kind of energy even than the energy that we're using. And God forbid if something like this happens, you have thousands of pods of energy packets in their respective areas giving energy to the areas versus one centralized place. And if it goes, the whole thing goes. It's kind of crazy. Well, it's it's sort of part of the old view. You know, the Internet made things decentralized. Yes. I think power will follow that, that vision of, um, you know, the future. And uh, certainly there's like bloom boxes already out there used by Google and other places here that uh, use a, uh, a chemical cell to produce, you know, power. Um, and um, that will come more and more in the future as we get into a hydrogen technology, as we get into photo cells uh, on our roofs and wind power, you know, in our homes. We'll, we'll actually be able to have a decentralized power, and then we can share it with our neighbors and actually create, you know, local economies that I'm greatly in favor of. So. Yes, I would be very excited to see that utilized. I know it will scare the powers that be, but it's best for the world that that actually ends up happening, and we're probably in that transition right now. Okay, I wanted to ask you about your trip to the summit of Mount Everest. Now, you carried out physiological research at one of the highest places on Earth, and you were building specialty instrumentation for physiological measurements under the Antarctic ice. What were you doing there? 
I actually didn't go to the summit. I was one of the uh, research teams from the University of California, San Diego, that um, went to Mount Everest in 1981 as part of the American Medical Research Expedition to climb Everest and do the first physiological measurements right on the summit, which was quite an undertaking. So I built a lot of, uh, coordinated the building of a lot of the equipment that we took to the summit and to the high camps to do uh, scientific research, and it was very successful. We got seven people to the summit and did the first measurements and found out why people who, you know, went to Mount Everest uh, without oxygen could actually survive if they were, you know, top-quality uh, athletes like Reinhold Messner had done prior to that. So that was our mission. We found out, actually, there was more oxygen on top of Mount Everest than we expected from the Air Force tables that measure these things. Wow. That's because there was, um, you know, uh, the Earth is kind of a little bit football-shaped in terms of the atmosphere, and Everest is near the equator, and so there's a little bit more air pressure on top of Mount Everest than it is physically high because there's a higher column of air. So that means there was more oxygen went into people, and some people can make it to the tummit of Everest without oxygen. So it sort of pushed the limit. It's like breaking you know, the four-minute mile. We we did some really exciting research there and wrote 35 papers. And so that, that was part of my earlier incarnation <laughs> experience. And then uh, the other, after I finished the Everest thing, I started doing more biomedical research and worked for uh, Scripps Institute of Oceanography and, and uh, the British Antarctic Survey that measured um, diving uh, Weddell seals under the Arctic ice. And so we built little transmitters, or not with transmitters, recorders, actually, that we strapped onto penguins and onto seals to see how deep they could dive underneath. Uh, so I guess it gives me somewhat of a, a unusual background that I did, uh, worked with scientists that did studies at the highest place on Earth and, and deep under the ocean. Wow. What an interesting life you are leading. Talk to us about the Dove Health Alliance and what you're doing now. Well, it's a nonprofit foundation that was set up in the late 90s to to do research in this field that we saw emerging in the future. That's called energy medicine. Energy medicine is uh, a field that's now part of uh, complementary and alternative medicine. It's uh, if you go to the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine website from the National Institutes of Health, you will see it defined there as one of the four major research areas. And it's not that well known. Uh, we look at uh, the body as basically an energetic structure, just like the Chinese look at it through their understanding of qi and prana. And we're, we're interested in how we can use new technologies to um, help medicine in a new way. Specifically, there are technologies now that use uh, light, that use lasers, that use um, even electromagnetic radiation in a pulsed uh, healthy way or through microcurrents being put through the body. That could save our medical system, you know, millions of dollars. Probably trillions of dollars. Yeah, uh, probably, because we have the most expensive healthcare system in the world, but it's primarily based on pharmaceutical modulation of symptoms, you know, and hopefully the body will heal and you can stop those. But I believe that, uh, you know, long-term use of drugs, you know, is, it's not really advantageous to the body. You, you take away its regulation and its healing ability, and you substitute these things and often only modulate the symptoms, and people get sicker anyway. So the long-term 
uh, use of drugs really isn't something that I think brings us benefits. Sometimes you need it um, when the body has lost that capacity. I'm interested how we can regenerate the body to heal itself and using nutrition and using energy medicine modalities. So the Duff Health Alliance was set up to to work with scientists. I've mostly um, done a lot of uh, education about that and given lectures here and in Europe about it. We've done some um, some research in this field. We were also very interested in sound and the effect of sound on the body, um, the effects on uh, special ways to use uh, low currents in the body to to heal the tissues, and it's very effective in athletics. Um, and I think this is the future, really, uh, because it's sort of more like Star Trek medicine where you can find things out very quickly from the body, measuring the electrical parameters of the body, and then and then balancing that. And now we're engaged in finding out if there's um, the kind of long-term benefits that insurance companies and, and corporations are interested in, in mandating to be used with their um, with their employees and, and with their clients. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of and, and as part of that, I got really interested in in this field of. Uh, Radio frequency radiation and its adverse effects on on the system because it's a constant stress. When I start measuring uh, things uh, in people that are electrically sensitive or just have various illnesses, oftentimes what comes up is that they have an overlying level of electrosmog, which means this adverse effect of this radiation that's affecting their energy field. You know, their uh, you might say their their regulatory system. You see, the body works based on biophotons, uh, which is uh, light, literally being transmitted between the cells, and and this is measured in special, very dark chambers with special instrumentation like photomultiplier tubes. They can pick up the light coming out of the body, and uh, if you leak too much light, then you are not in a state of good health. It's literally like too much resistance or things not functioning well. And we find that in cell cultures when cancer cells leak more light than, say, healthy cells because they exchange information. And so we really need an energetic and an informational medicine to show how the body sends information along. When you when you consider, you know, that there are millions of cells dying every second are being replaced without becoming cancer cells and that there's a billion chemical reactions taking place, you know, um, all over, you know, that that chemistry is really too slow to regulate all that. And the body does that um, sort of with, um, with light, with communication of electromagnetic nature inside the body. And we want to strengthen that so the body can stay healthy and well. Naturally, if you put poisons into the body, chemicals, uh, pollutants, heavy metals, and that sort of thing, that disrupts this communication system. That's why one needs to detox the body from time to time to get to get rid of this stuff. How do you detox yours? Um, I do a periodic cleanses with medicinal foods, with herbs, with nutrients, with uh, taking a, um, a diet that, that eliminates a lot of allergens and uh, potential chemicals, you know, eat a lot of greens and, and so on. So we have whole protocols for that sort of right. thing in our center. So, I, you know, you have to do it like changing the oil in your car. You have Indeed. to do it from time to time, you know. It's a great pleasure to talk with you.
Yes, my pleasure as well, Kim, and I hope this is helpful for your listeners this time and look forward to talking to you again. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Carl Merritt, MD. He is the founder of the Dove Health Alliance at dovehealthalliance.org. And you really should go to the site and find out more about him, get involved in the new energy grid and smart meter technology, take action to stay well and be healthy. Carl, thank you again for being with us. My pleasure, Kim.